0: When I, uh, when I first read the news, I, I was just going on my phone, and I saw, like, BC United MLA running for the Conservatives. You know what I thought exactly? It was like, oh, we have our first floor crossing, only one to go, and we get the, the over under right. But no, he's yeah. going to the federal Conservatives. That's, that's going to happen a lot, I think. Hey everybody!
1: Welcome to this episode of the Numbers. I'm Eric Grenier, and I'm joined as always by Philippe J. Fournier.
0: Ah, uh, Philippe, we got a we got a packed show today. Oh, we absolutely do. Good morning, Eric, and hello, everybody. Glad to have you on board. Uh, yeah, we have poll like horse race numbers. We have healthcare numbers. We have provincial polls. I mean, I think now this is the first podcast of the year, right now, the early year that uh, we have. That much stuff. So I think that the wheel has started to turn. Oh, and by the way, today, in 11 months, my friend, it's Christmas. So <laughs> only 11 months to go. <laughs> It'll come faster than you think. I it's always, a text I, I love to that. send my mother every 25th of the month because she always stresses out about the family dinner that we didn't have this year because of COVID. But uh, anyway. Did so, she freeze
1: everything so that she can use it next she year?
0: She probably did, yeah. Uh, well, well, next year <laughs> Well, I, I hope not, but uh, we'll see. So how are you, Eric? Oh,
1: everything is good. Uh it's a uh, kind of a an icy day here in Ottawa, so probably not going to go outside that much cuz mm. I might slip and fall. But uh no, things are good. It does feel like the political season starting to get going. We had uh yeah. the Liberals had their cabinet retreat, the NDP was out in Edmonton doing their thing. Uh so it, Why don't we dive right into some of these federal topics? Uh, And I I guess we're going to start with the numbers as we usually do. And um, there was a poll from Angus Reid Institute that came out. Um, The overall numbers showed no change from where things were in early December when they were last in the field. So they had 41% for the Conservatives, 24% for the Liberals, 20% for the NDP, 17-point lead for the Conservatives. So again, we're back to that. You know, the mid-teens to mid to high-teens, I guess, that we saw at the end of uh, November, early December. There's also Mm -hmm. a Nanos poll that came out, and again, the rolling poll, but it showed that the gap was widening again. So it does seem to be clear that whatever might have happened over the holidays that might have got things closer to 10 points Yeah, uh, seems to be going away, and it's now closer to that 15-point 15 15. gap that we saw before. What, what was your takeaway from uh, from this poll when it came out?
0: Well, we, again, we have to be careful, and I think most of our listeners and viewers know this, that you have to be careful to compare polls from different pollsters, right? I mean, you have to look at the the trends from a single pollster at a time, and for the Angus Reid Institute, they didn't see any change, right? So they were on the field, I yeah. think it was late November, they released in early December, and they had the exact same numbers, forty-one twenty-four. 24. Uh, so no movement. Um, and thing is, this lead, the longer it goes. Now it's been, what, six months now? The longer it goes, I think there's an aura of inevitability that will start mm. to grow, I think, on the liberals. And... Uh, you know, did you? Wouldn't you want to be a fly on a wall during the cabinet retreat uh, for the Liberals? Just, just wonder, like, okay, what are they saying? Are are they actually looking at each other? And says, okay, there's something going on here, or are they just, you know, what we've been done in the polls before? That's nothing. I I truly wonder, uh, and I know from like speaking directly to MPs. That when they say, "Oh, we don't look at polling; it's not important. We have a job to do," you, you know they're lying. <laughs> they're, they look at polls all the time. It has to have an effect on their morale, on their you no, know, their their train of thought. Uh, you know, so yeah, it's 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 not good for the liberals. And at some point, it's it's it will feel irreversible. Like, what don't? You, what do you think?
1: I do wonder uh, how much of the cabinet and the caucus kind of breaks down in the different groups, right? There's probably almost certainly a a group that thinks things are going really badly. We need to really do something or we're going to lose. You know, this is a a moment to panic. Uh, And then there's probably another group that says, oh, there's still lots of time. Things will turn around. We'll be okay. Let's just keep going forward. And uh, uh, as you said, the longer that goes on. Uh, the more tension I think there would be between those two groups, and uh does the one group get bigger than the other by the end of it, like we already saw um, one m p coming out uh, expressing oh some discontent God. and we 'll probably 'll we'll get to that later but yeah. um yeah it, it it is going to be difficult the longer this goes on uh, and some of the regional numbers and you know we don 't want to go too far into the regionals uh but they're just, they're just murder for the, oh, yeah. the Liberals, right? There's a 17-point lead for the Conservatives in Ontario at 45%. They're ahead by 22 points in Atlantic Canada, over 50%. <laughs> uh, you know, big leads in, in Alberta and Saskatchewan, as always, ahead in, in British Columbia. Like, this is, again, we're getting to the point of the 200-seat majority oh,
0: yeah. um, that we that we had again before christmas and not only that i will add also the, the best province for the liberals usually is still quebec and in that poll you have the bloc quebecois with 36 percent and uh, with a nine point lead over the liberals but then again we have to if we compare to the previous angus reed poll the liberals got better they were 23 in mm. quebec and the bloc had a 14 point lead now it's only a nine point lead so but still the the, the trend is there um i, I mean those numbers split. 36% for the Bloc Québécois historically is not that high. It's it's good when you look at recent years. Yeah, but
1: since 2019, it's yeah, good. Yeah,
0: exactly. But uh, the thing is, because of the vote splits, I mean, the Liberals, would they win anything in Francophone Quebec? Maybe, maybe a seat or two, maybe Saint-Maurice, uh, maybe some in the eastern townships in the, the Outaouais region. But uh, the, 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 the map for the federal Liberals would kind of look like with the provincial liberals <laughs> in Quebec, yeah. the, the, you would see much red outside of the southern Quebec and Montreal region. Um, and we saw also polling, uh, uh, you know, in Toronto and Mississauga uh, from Liaison Strategies. I think we talked about this earlier. But uh, so the, the red wall in 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 the, the Toronto and the GTA is starting to crack for the Liberals. So if they lose Toronto and they they lose you know, Quebec, except Montreal, uh, there's not much left. And that would be a route. Uh, so, again, it's the Angus Reed Institute. It's one poll. But thing is, is it 17 or is it 14? Does it really matter? No. <laughs> right, it doesn't, right? Unless we, unless we see a 10 or a 9 in the next few months that is consistently across the polling firms in this country. But uh, it's not happening. So, the tightening of December Eh, maybe it was just a little bump, and it's okay. I mean, we did say at the end we didn't say, "Oh, momentum shift." No, we said, "Hmm, let's wait in January to see if it lasts," and it didn't. So,
1: yeah, I think it. I think it's clear enough, at least from the number of polls that came out at the time, that something might have gotten a little bit better over that time. Uh, but it's clear now, I think, that that it's gotten. Uh, worse again for the Liberals, uh, rather than what happened over the holidays maybe not being real. Now, the fact that it was the holidays, maybe that had a bit of an impact on the polling, but <laughs> a lot of the attention on this poll came on the question of motivation. Yeah. And I saw most of the articles that were written about this poll were talking about this. So the Angus Reed Institute asked conservative voters if they were voting because they liked Polyev and the Conservatives or because they wanted to block the Liberals. And they asked the same kind of question to the Liberals. Were they doing it because they liked Justin Trudeau and the Liberals or because they were going to block, trying to block the Conservatives? So you roughly had among the Conservatives a two-to-one split that it was because of the Conservatives, not because they were blocking the Liberals. And then for the Liberals, you had a two-to-one split more or less that it was they were blocking the Conservatives rather than the Liberals. Uh, (laughs) I didn't think that was that... (laughs) Like I wasn't that shocked about it. A lot yeah. of people vote for a particular party to block the other party. Yeah. Um. But I don't know. What did you make of it? Did you Did you think that was significant?
0: The thing is, if the liberals are polling at thirty five, like they used to, not that long ago, and you have a uh, twelve to fifteen percent among those that say, "Well, we really don't want the conservatives. We want to keep the liberal fortress intact." That's okay. It's just that that 15% of liberals is a much bigger uh, number now when compared to the 24 overall. So in that poll among decided voters, only 9% support the liberals, they say, because of their policies, not because they want to block conservatives. That is a low, low number. But there was also the number with the NDP, right? The NDP is at 20% in this poll uh, among decided voters, which is... In the same range we're used to, maybe a tad high, I, I still have the, the, the NDP in the high teens, not at 20%, but 7%, 7 point. Uh, so about basically a third of NDP voters said they would switch if they feel the Conservatives could win in their riding. Um This has the potential of squeezing the NDP for all they've got and have a very, very polarized election. If the Liberals slip... We talked about this before, Eric. If the Liberals slipped at the same level or below the NDP, the reverse will happen, of course. But if the Liberals still hold on to those mid-20s and, you know... You're in the writing and you see the projections that says 40% conservative, 38% liberal, and 15% NDP. The NDP has no chance of winning. and You say you have to, you know, you have to wonder, do I really want to support my candidate even though he's going to lose or she's going to lose? Or do I want to try to just bump up the liberals to block the conservative? This has the potential of being really bad for the NDP, uh, given also that it's not that their the, the leader has been performing very uh, highly. In recent months, so um, potentially a very strong two-way race with the MBDP being squeezed out uh, if, if with those numbers.
1: It's the usual playbook for the Liberals, right? By the oh, end yeah. of the campaign, telling people they have to vote for the Liberals to block the Conservatives, uh, and there is the potential that that could work very well, especially when you have a leader like Pierre Poilievre who is polarizing and, and disliked among uh, people on the center left, right? If if it's a leader that seems less uh threatening, uh, then there might not be as much of a of a uh, of a drive to kind of get behind one one party. Uh but the Angus Street Institute did, you know, they also asked us to block voters and green voters, and when they added them all together, the ones who said they could switch, it bumped the Liberals up to thirty four percent. So they were yeah. only seven points behind the Conservatives. Um because of how the regionals broke down, they would probably still give the Liberal uh, conservatives a majority, but If we start to get into the single-digit range of a gap, then that majority I think becomes a bit more in question. Uh, So, the playbook for the Liberals seems clear enough. Yeah. uh, But for the Conservatives, if they're over forty percent, they're in obviously a pretty strong position. Uh, Historically, forty percent usually gets you a majority, but um, you know things can change over time depending on how the vote efficiency works. But uh,
0: thing um, is also in the the same yeah some
1: interesting results here.
0: Yeah, the the, the, the favorability of the leaders was something that caught my eye. I mean, Trudeau has terrible numbers, like across the board. 64% disapproval, 32% approval, minus 32 net approval. That's terrible. Uh, Although it did get a little better from the previous Angus report, but it's still terrible. Uh, You look at Poiliev, Poiliev is, you know, 40% favorable, 50% unfavorable. So he's still in the negative and Angus Reid Institute, you know, they broke down by gender and by age, which I thought was really interesting. So, among male voters, Poilievre uh, has a plus ten in a young, plus ten in the uh, thirty-five to forty-four year old, uh, fifty-four year old, and plus eleven with older voters, right? Uh, older male voters. And he's really down in the dumps with women, minus thirty-six with young women, minus nineteen with women between thirty-five and fifty-four. And minus thirty with older women, but the thing is, Trudeau is disliked by everybody. <laughs> Here's the thing: so it, 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 this is what is so interesting to me because I look at these numbers. Like, Poyeves is really liked by the conservative base; he's not really liked by anybody else. But Trudeau is disliked by a lot of people. Um, again, this aura of inevitability that, that that will that will uh, the closer we get to the election, as we creep into 2024 and slowly 2025. I mean, the liberals are, are heading into a wall right now. And um, we didn't, I mean, we wonder about that in the summer and in the fall and in the winter. And now we award 2024, and those numbers are not getting better. I, I know I sound like a broken record, but this is not sustainable. I mean, at some point, if ca- the caucus, if cabinet doesn't raise the red flags, like we are going to lose and lose badly. Because right now I see the best case scenario for the Liberals is to have an honorable loss. Like to lose, but not to be completely destroyed. Those numbers suggest that the Liberals would be destroyed. It would be 1984 or uh, or 2011 again. So
1: it, it, They are at the point right now where it seems like they are just waiting for the Conservatives to uh, make a mistake, right? Rather than uh, mm. doing something on their own to try to turn things around. They've obviously brought in some new kind of policies and 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 messaging and all that kind of stuff but I, I i have some doubts that it's going to work in the long run
0: so eric uh leger had a very interesting poll about healthcare in this country and i mean it did, they did not reinvent the wheel the questions were pretty straightforward i mean one of the ones that um Caught my eye was, okay, overall, how would you rate the healthcare system in your province? Of course, when you look at the overall numbers, that doesn't tell you much. 28% say either good or excellent, 35% said fair, and 37 said poor or very poor. But when you broke it down by regions, obviously, we don't have individual Atlantic provinces. Atlantic provinces were the worst. So, only 9% of respondents in Atlantic provinces uh, say it was good or excellent. Well, actually, 0% said excellent. 66% said total poor. So, is this a sample size issue? Because there was only 100 respondents. But the thing is, with 100 respondents, you get plus or minus 11%. (laughs) You don't get plus or minus 25%. So, that was really bad. But what really caught my eye, because there was a good sample, it was Quebec, 15% of Quebec respondents said either good or excellent. And this was uh, 400, I think, cases in Quebec. Uh, No, margin of error plus or minus 5, around the 50% mark. 51% of Quebec respondents said it was poor or very poor. And we wonder why François Legault fell from grace throughout 2023. This is partly it. I mean, we were told by the finance, uh, uh, sorry, the the health minister during the holidays, if, you know, you can stay home, even if you're sick, don't go to the emergency rooms. Like, okay, what am I paying taxes for? (laughs) So there was a lot of anger, not necessarily from me. Thankfully, I'm healthy and I hope I stay healthy. But um, I think Francois Legault is really her thing. For many crises, and one of them is the healthcare system. They, they just voted in their, of course, their new reform, the Reforme du B. We'll see if it changes anything. Uh, but uh, really, really a black eye right now for the CAQ in Quebec. What did you make of uh, What did you see in that poll that, uh, that made you react, that made you, that caught your eye? Well, the
1: 15% you mentioned for Quebec, uh, to put it in context, it's twice as high, the people who think that the uh, healthcare system is good. In Ontario, is 31. <laughs> it's nearly twice as high in, in Alberta, uh, in Manitoba, Saskatchewan. And in Alberta and BC, which I'm actually kind of shocked to see the numbers as high as this, the 46% in Alberta think it's good, 40% in BC. So when you put it in those contexts, you see how much further back Quebec is. And it does, kind of, as you said, explain what's going on with uh, Francois Legault. Um, but also, you know, when you're looking at the Atlantic numbers, it's no... Nothing new that Atlantic Canadians think the healthcare system in uh in their region is troubled. Obviously they have a they have an issue with just resources, with getting doctors yeah. to go there. There's lots of stories about how there's not enough family doctors. Uh Tim Houston in 2021 won an upset victory in the Nova Scotia election based entirely on healthcare. Uh it does make you wonder how much trouble does this put someone like Blaine Higgs in New Brunswick, uh, Andrew Fury next year yeah. in Newfoundland and Labrador having uh, elections? Healthcare is a perennial kind of issue, yeah. uh, but if another party can really grasp it, as Houston did in Nova Scotia, as uh, Wab Kanu and the New Democrats did in Manitoba, that can be pretty rough for uh, for an incumbent government. But I ha- I'm not hearing a—like, may- you can tell me I'm wrong— but I'm not really hearing the Parti Québécois or uh, the other opposition parties really grabbing this issue as much as yeah. as maybe, you know, we've seen with the new, like I said, the New Democrats in Manitoba, the PCs in Nova Scotia. It, it doesn't feel like they're trying to use the healthcare system as, as their springboard back yeah. into power.
0: Well, the thing is, with the pandemic, of course, I think all parties were, well, opposition parties We're really careful not to look like they're criticizing the the big plan of the government. You have to have some solidarity, right? But we're out of this now. And the CAQ, just before Christmas, as we said, they they voted in La Réforme du Baie. They did it uh, under Le Bayon, right? I'm not sure how you say that in English, but basically they they, they cut short. Closure in in the House. Yeah, Yeah, basically they cut short opposition time and questions just just to push it through. And it was one of the biggest bill voted in Quebec history, like a thousand articles, right? Um, And it creates a new agency, Santé Québec, that will be. I I know it's a bad analogy, but it's like the Hydro-Québec of health where there will be one, like a guy like will be the the CEO that will not be an elected uh, person that will take care of this. Uh, It's just that this is bureaucracy and good luck selling (laughs) more bureaucracy to anybody, not just Quebec. Anybody in this country says, oh, we're going to fix this. How? Well, we have this new bureaucratic structure. Mm. Uh, So if it works or if it, you know, in, you know, increases the services in Quebec, even just a little bit, it will be seen as a win. But um, we, I mean, we expect Quebec numbers very soon. I don't want to say spoilers, but we expect new Quebec numbers very soon. And looking at these numbers on healthcare, knowing that healthcare is always high on the issues of voters, uh, this spells trouble for the CEQ and François Legault. Uh, and as you said, in Alberta, I mean, not that I know the health services in Alberta very well, but I was surprised to see 46% say it's good or great, and uh, only 20, I think it was 26 or 25%, said it was uh, it was poor. Um, good for them. It, again, it's a perception. It's not that the system is better, but certainly it's perceived better by Albertans uh, than Quebecers are perceiving their own health health system.
1: We had some other issues we wanted to talk about this week. Um, I'd mentioned the uh, MP out in in Newfoundland Labrador who criticized Justin Trudeau, talking about whether there should be a leadership review. (laughs) Uh, And I don't think the Liberals. I'm not sure if the Liberals have that kind of mechanism in their party. They don't,
0: especially when you're the incumbent government. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. I asked around because I don't want to cut you off here, but I did share that with some journalists in Ottawa saying, okay, this is, I mean, what would Trudeau get in a leadership review right now? And I was really cut short saying there's no mechanism. Uh, You know, it's until the election, there's no mechanism. So it's not going to happen unless Mr. McDonald's, uh, it was Ken McDonald, right? Uh, In Avalon. Uh, Unless Mr. McDonald's voice, it's duplicated by many others. I mean, the liberals would be forced to do something, but there's no mechanism.
1: Yeah, that 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 seems to be the uh, the sticking point, and uh, <laughs> you know the, the liberals also have right now free memberships, right? So if they if they decided to have a leadership review kind of thing among the membership, uh, like how would that work? Would there be a cutoff like of right now so that you don't have a big flood of just randos getting <laughs> in the party and voting him out? Um, like, it, yeah, it it just doesn't. As soon as I heard it. Uh, I yeah. Part of me was like, that doesn't seem like the culture that there's a leadership review because, yeah. uh, you know, you, that happens in the conservatives. It happens with the New Democrats. But like when I'm thinking about leadership reviews of liberal leaders, none of that, none come to mind.
0: When uh, was the last?
1: Someone might correct me. When that was the last been one? Some in the past. But whenever I've looked at like what a leadership's review score was for different party leaders, yeah. it always brings up New Democrats. It always brings up conservatives. Uh, you know the pq uh yeah. parties like that but i i couldn't tell you when the last one is and someone listening might know yeah but i can't remember what the last one is and i've never really heard of a leadership review <laughs> within the federal liberal party it, it, not to say that there hasn't been one yeah, but yeah. it just doesn't seem to be part of their culture
0: i think many parties have this um this uh policy that if you lose an election yeah. to stay on leader you have to have a leadership review thing is usually when the liberal leader loses he's out <laughs> they don't keep those around yeah. right uh that's interesting the last one who
1: didn't do that was paul martin right no actually no no no. no. he, he got out in 2006 right? right? so what i'm thinking i'm i'm thinking of the 2004 as a defeat no the last liberal <laughs> leader who lost an election and stuck around i think was john turner
0: and he stuck. And it's true. Yeah. He did stick around. I mean, he must have. I mean, he stuck around for a long time. He was still leader in '88. So he must have yeah, he had lost two elections. Yeah. yeah. So between '84 and '88, you 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 would think that there would have been. I mean, we should know this, but we think yeah. there would be a leadership review. Like, okay, we'll look. We'll we'll look this up, <laughs> and come yeah. back on this. But okay, so but what do you make of uh, an MP of obviously not part of cabinet? But an MP mm-hmm. like openly saying, and by the way, uh, shout out to Laurence Martin of Radio Canada who broke the story. Uh, she she did tell, uh, she did say on Radio uh, Canada Radio in Montreal how she was interviewing him because she was in in, uh, in Newfoundland, just a tour of Atlantic Canada, and he started talking about this and was like, "Do oh, you know we're on the record here?" <laughs> and he was like, "No, no, it's okay. <laughs> I mean." <laughs> I imagine her face saying, "Oh, oh, okay, so I can write this. That's that's interesting." Um, but what, yeah, what do it you wasn't. Make of this? It wasn't
1: like a, someone got in touch, or that yeah. oh, we hear he's going to say something. It was like, let's talk to this guy, and yeah. he said this thing's just, hey, well, you know, maybe we should do a leadership review. Uh, so that's like found money. That's, that's yeah. it. but um, to like so he has a bit of a recent. Um, kind of background because he was uh he wasn't in support of of uh, carbon the carbon tax he voted like with the gov- with the conservatives on on an issue on that um or at least he was pressured to i can't recall exactly how that played out um there was a, an article in the hill times where he was openly talking about crossing the floor to the conservatives but that he wasn't going to do it yeah. which is just kind of bizarre so it makes me feel that this guy is a little bit of a uh Talker, right? Who will just kind of say things and and maybe uh, not reflecting on what the impact's going to be. But when you're an Atlantic Canadian MP, I think you do need to have a little bit of that latitude. Uh, Atlantic Canada is one of the few places in the country where the local MP matters quite a bit. And you know we've we've seen cases. Wayne Long was one in St. John, um, in New Brunswick, who also was kind of openly sometimes critical of the government and he was reelected in the last election and it wasn't a given that he that would take place right so i i could imagine that the liberals would be uh willing to give McDonald a little bit more of a, a loose leash than if he was an mp in in you know in in mississauga or markham or something yeah. uh where it doesn't really matter that much who the candidate is um, but <laughs> We're, the question is: Is this is if he's the only one who's going to do it, and he's really only saying maybe we should have a leadership review and see what the members think, and, yeah. go, and if they decide to keep him around, good, we'll we'll go forward with that. Um, but if if we do see some others, then as you were talking uh, earlier, uh, the sustainability yeah. of 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 these kinds of polling numbers and Trudeau's leadership starts to starts to become a bit tenuous. <laughs>
0: Hey, you want to talk about provinces? We had a fun poll with uh, Lejeune, sure. in Alberta. Uh, Alberta. Yeah, I mean, of course, there's no election coming soon, obviously. But still, I mean, the tracking is important. Uh, much was made about this poll that was published in Postmedia. So 50% for the United Conservative Party, Danielle Smith, uh, which is roughly what she had in the election. I think it was 52%. Yeah. And forty three percent for the new Democrats. Uh, again, the same result as their election result. It was forty four point one, I believe. Uh, so status quo. And this is what this was fielded just before Rachel Notley's resignation. Uh, so it gives you like a, a like a, you know, a marker in time to see okay where does DNDP go from here under like a new leadership race and then new, new leadership. Um, the regionals were a bit strange. But that's okay. That's you know, that's part of the game. Uh, it shows a big lead for the United Conservatives in Calgary, which would just wipe out basically all the progress the NDP done in, mm-hmm. in Alberta's largest city. Uh, the, the, so, so what did you make of this? There's, this is not a honeymoon for uh, Daniel Smith, but it's, this is sustained support. Basically, many Albertan, well, half of Alberta, at least, Alberta voters, uh, they like what they see out of Daniel Smith.
1: There's no there's no regret at least yeah. just yet, right? Yeah. Uh she's now been premier for I think what, fourteen months? Yep. Uh That's right.
0: Uh, was it was October yeah. or November? Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 So now like she's been there for a little while. Uh and you know, we're not seeing that Albertans are are uh regretting that decision, but we're also not seeing that the NDP is falling away yeah. as Rachel Notley. Moves on As you mentioned, the poll was done before she announced that she was uh, resigning, but everybody kind of already knew she was. So I imagine that a lot of the respondents were kind of assuming that Notley was not going to be leader of the party. Uh, For the regionals, uh, I do find in some of these polls, especially the ones that are done online, that the NDP usually does a bit better in the, you know, quote unquote regions than is actually the case. So I wouldn't be surprised if the 5043 number is completely accurate, but the NDP is doing a little bit worse in the rural areas and a little bit better in Calgary than the poll says. Um, But uh, it's going to be really interesting to see once the NDP leadership race starts to unfold, because we're all starting to happen. People are putting their pieces into place. Um, It's going to be a lot about how do we win those extra seats in Calgary, right? Because that's what they needed to, to win the election. Oh, yeah. And... I'm curious to see if we'll see more polls during the year that have the NDP struggling a little bit in Calgary, because then it might put a little bit more urgency into the leadership race about how does the party appeal to uh, Calgary and just get over the over the over the hump that they weren't able to do in the last election.
0: Little message to uh, the NDP in Alberta: Do not do like the Quebec Liberals. Don't wait two and a half years because one, that's yeah. ridiculous; it's too long, and two, Daniel Smith. Could very well stumble in the next year or two, and when she does, you want to have a leader in place to uh, to to show off to try to to, to, to tour the province. Uh, what the Quebec Liberals aren't doing right now: the François Legault is struggling, and the Liberals are nowhere to be seen because they have no leader uh, whatsoever. Uh, well, you know they have rumors of leaders but (laughs) but we won't we won't get into that right now because it's it's too laughable but uh so a little message it does seem like the
1: the ndp is going to go sooner i don't think they're gonna push it off i would be surprised if they don't have a leader in place by the end of the year um so because we've already seen some kathleen ganley um uh came out with like a an introductory video that wasn't an introductory video. Um, so you know, I I feel like they're already starting to trial balloons. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can't have a trial balloon flying for two years, right? <laughs> so uh, presumably, we'll we'll see if they have a new leader in place by the end of the year. And and as you said, I think that's I don't think I don't think it's a good idea to wait on the leadership race. Get your person in and get them time to get their under you know um, get comfortable in the job. Um, because a new leader comes in a few we- months before an election might be good for a uh, like a honeymoon bump, yeah. but I think it probably puts you in a worse place once you get to the actual election yeah. when the person's only been
0: there for six months. Uh, but we don't have any other provincial polls to uh, to talk about this week. But again, the National Assembly in Quebec is uh, starting their new sitting. I think it's on Tuesday. Uh, expect new Quebec numbers early next week, and of course, on next episode we'll uh, We'll get into that because I think they will be very interesting
1: okay, and we did want to mark uh, there was a, uh, the passing yeah. of, a, of an MHA in Newfoundland, Labrador, Derek Bragg uh, who was a liberal. he was elected in 2015. he served in cabinet uh, and he had uh, was diagnosed with cancer Ugh. not very long ago, about seven months and and he's passed away and he wasn't uh, that old so fifty59 years
0: old man it's, it's yeah, oof, it's yeah, okay.
1: Yeah, so condolences to him and his uh, family and friends and uh, to the uh, Newfoundland Labrador Liberals who uh, who uh, lose a member uh, of their family. So uh, so yeah, just wanted to mark that. Okay, let's do uh, the questions um of the week. So how this works, we mention it every uh, on every episode public episode that we ask questions for members of our Patreon on the Patreon on our Discord. And you can join it at uh for as little as, a little bit less than $5 a month now <laughs> if you sign up for the entire year. So uh, you can get your questions answered. You get the exclusive episodes that come out every two weeks. Philip just mentioned an episode next week. That's for Patreon members only. So we got uh, a few questions. There's a few I wanted to do. Right. Uh, we got one from Ali Gersoy on Discord. And he said, there were news stories about the federal government going, quote, back to its roots with a focus on the middle class. And he asked, do we have any data regarding the voting intentions or vote shifts across different socioeconomic classes? Uh,
0: yeah.
1: I pulled some numbers. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you want to look at them first or you want well, I, I, to
0: them. Well, I see them. them now. It's just, again, the thing is the, the middle class. I think when the liberals got into power, we realized that the middle class encompasses a lot of people, right? Uh, yeah. What is?
1: Especially when you're talking about if people feel like they're in the middle
0: class. Exactly. I mean, I, I you know, everybody if you're not a millionaire or if you're not dirt poor you may say you may think you're uh, you're uh, middle class and then you look at the numbers from statcan you uh, realize oh okay well if you make i don't know 80,000 a year in my province or in ontario you're above the middle class. <laughs> the median the salary, the median salary, uh, household income in Quebec, I think it was 55000 So if, you know, if you're a couple making each 55000 well, you're double the, the median. Uh, so it, it's, it's, it depends how you see it. And also, it's based on income. Right, uh, you could have an income of seventy-five thousand a year, but if you're sitting on an inheritance or you're, you have assets, it, it, so it's really hard to define, have a clear-cut yeah. view of what the middle class is. But yeah, why don't why don't you go ahead? So you pulled the uh, you pulled Angus Reid numbers, right?
1: Yeah, well, they were the most recent ones, and just like what you said, this, if you make seventy five thousand and you live in Toronto, that's not as the same as if you make no. seventy five thousand you live in, uh, in uh, you know Newfoundland Labrador, no. right? So it, it makes a difference in terms of that. And like, the Liberals, I think, didn't ever mean it as a, like a defined middle class, because they always said the middle class and those working hard to join it. So it was meant to be <laughs> as encompassing as possible yeah. to include as many people. But anyway. So the Angus Street Institute was the most recent poll, so I pulled the numbers, and they do break it down by income brackets. Uh, so they have people who make less or households that make less than fifty thousand, households that make between fifty and one hundred thousand, and then households who make more than one hundred thousand. Uh when you pull the numbers, you see that the conservatives don't do as well among the lowest income bracket they have here, yeah. but they were still leading in the polls. Uh, they had 31% the NDP was second to 24 the liberals were 22 among those who made between 50 and 100,000 the conservatives had 42% liberals 24 NDP 18 so kind of the same as the national portrait and then the people who make over 100,000 households the conservatives at 47% liberals 23 NDP 19 when you compare that to the last Angus Reid Institute poll from before the 2021 campaign the difference is kind of uniform Conservatives are up eight to nine points among each of these groups. The Liberals are down usually about 10 to eight points among each of these groups. So I, I, it doesn't seem like there yeah. is a a specific group that is being appealed to, that whether you're you're on the lower end of, of, of earnings, you're on the higher end, roughly the same amount of people have gone over to the Conservatives and roughly the same amount of people have left the Liberals. So I, I think that's kind of interesting.
0: It is. It is. And— but I, I go back to the question, the federal government going back to its root, back to its roots. I I know it sounds good. I don't know what that means. They, they, what, they're going to promise electoral reform and uh, legalize weed? They they have already done that. So uh, I don't know what that means. And again, those numbers indicate that uh, the, the movement in voting intentions has has no relations to your income. Uh, it was pretty uniform across the board. Uh, very interesting numbers. Uh, good question, yeah. Ali.
1: Yeah. I guess it's back to its roots in terms of its messaging. Well, they're, they want that, to go... That, yeah. that seems to... It seems to imply that they forgot about the middle class over the last couple of years, but... Uh, <laughs> well... I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Back to the roots when we uh, were winning,
0: basically. Yeah. So... Yeah.
1: Yeah. Back to our winning <laughs> roots rather than our losing <laughs> roots. Okay. We got a question from Sammy on the Discord. Uh this was something that took place this week, so I wanted to to highlight it. He said, "What do you think are the odds that Taylor Backrack holds on to Skeena-Buckley Valley in the two, 20 in the 2025 federal election?" So the news there: this is a riding in northern British Columbia, and just this past week it was announced that Ellis Ross is going to be the Conservative candidate for Pierre Poliev He is the BC United MLA for Skeena. Uh, he's pretty well known in the area. He's Indigenous. Uh, he finished second in the BC United, or sorry, the BC Liberal yeah. leadership race <laughs> in 2022. So it seems like it's a bit of a get. Uh, but I'm curious, what it, before he was even announced? Yeah, what would did the NDP have a good shot of holding on to this riding?
0: Well, they only won it by six points. Uh, and of course, you know, and I know that the, the when we look at the federal numbers, the the BC. Uh, a breakdown, the BC subsample, always varied so much from one to another. So it's hard. But to think that the NDP could lose three, four points and the conservatives with a known local candidate, especially in those northern writings, uh, could pick up three, four points. Uh, it's. T- I mean, I would put this in the uh, conservative uh, likely or maybe conservative leaning, uh, right now, uh, because the numbers in BC are so good for the Conservatives when you look at uh, poll after poll after poll. And we were not sure really for the NDP. Uh, the NDP, I believe, had something like 29% of the vote in British Columbia, and polls have them as low as the low 20s or sometimes mid 30s. So we do not know. Yeah. But a good local candidate like that, somebody who's known, who has experience, who knows how to run a campaign, uh, could the could Conservatives get five points out of that, I, th- I think they could. So this is this is a good a good pickup for the federal conservatives.
1: Yeah, there's three little points I wanted to make. One is that from other polling we've seen, uh, despite the fact the NDP is more or less holding its vote uh, nationally and, and in most of the provinces, there does seem to be a bit of a transference that they are gaining some liberals and losing yeah. some votes to the conservatives. So in a riding like Skeena, Buckley Valley, that could hurt them a lot. Uh, Secondly, Ellis Ross, I think, is a good candidate for them. He's not a a nationally known person or something like that. But I looked at the results for the B.C. Liberals in northern B.C. in the last election. He was pretty much one of the only ones who didn't lose support. Mm. So it shows that he kind of mattered a little bit. And lastly, when I was pulling the numbers from 2021 in Skeena, Buckley Valley, the PPC got 8% of the vote here. They (laughs) were third. Yeah. you got to think that four or five points of that eight is going to go to the Conservatives just because of, you know, the new direction from Pierre Poiliev. And right there, that more or less puts this in a toss-up. And so I'd, I'd have to agree with you that I think the Conservatives would now be the favorite
0: in this riding. Wow.
1: Here, why don't you uh, do the next one? Okay, so Ron
0: Ron Fisher. Oh, an American uh, question. I wonder if Nikki Haley goes the distance and Trump wins. What happens if Trump is jailed or has a heart attack before the election? Would she be the logical alternative at the last minute? Well, I mean... I I don't want to be cynical here, but it all depends on on her her backers. I mean, will she have the financing to go on all the way? She did say Mm -hmm. that uh, New Hampshire was uh, first, but it was not the last for her. So she's going to stick around. Uh, Trump has legal trouble. Trump doesn't seem very coherent right now. (laughs) I mean, for some would say he never was coherent. But no, you haven't listened to his latest uh, diatribes, Talking to his supporters, it it that's a word salad basically, and we're starting to think maybe cognitively maybe he's he's getting up there. Um, will he last all the way? I mean, she has no reason to quit unless her backers, yeah. her financial backers, say okay, that's enough. Uh, but I do not follow the primaries as much as I uh, as other people, so. I, I'm not sure I can answer that question, but why would you quit? Just just go the distance and try to get as more vote, get your profile high up to run for 2028, 20, basically. If Trump is inevitable, which I don't think he is, I don't think he is.
1: So she, the next state is is South Carolina, yeah, that's right. uh, which is her state. So we'll see if she gets some good numbers out of that. Um, but I looked at the uh, I looked at sort of the rules of how uh, this would work, right? So. In Ron's question is sort of an assumption that Trump has won the nomination um, and he, or at least he won enough of the delegates to win the nomination, but he doesn't make it to the convention. So what happens in that case? Let's say that he, as, as I mentioned, who knows what it is? He, he can't run because of uh, legal issues, he's had a health issue yeah. or something like that. and he's no longer a candidate. So what happens is that the delegates who would be sent to the national convention then get kind of freed up. Hmm. And then it becomes like an old-fashioned kind of delegated convention where you would nominate candidates at the, on the floor. Uh, so it's not a given that if Nikki Haley has the second most delegates, that she would then become the front-runner to replace Donald Trump in this kind of scenario, because you could have all the Trump delegates decide to get behind, I don't know, someone else. They could get behind Ron DeSantis or or... <laughs> uh, Ramaswamy or something like that. So you could have a case where you have this convention that is between the, the Trump supporters and the not Trump supporters. And, and it doesn't necessarily mean that Haley would become the, uh, the, um, the shoe in to win. So it's an interesting scenario, but and, and I agree with you that I don't know why she would, Bernie Sanders stayed in, in the, uh, in the 2016 one until pretty much the end. Sort of and thing. the convention became kind of a thing so i don't know why why she wouldn't do that as well but yeah it's uh, the context will depend on uh, on what happens uh, at the convention if trump can't make it to
0: there hear me out uh, eric tucker carlson <laughs> well you know, if those if those Trump delegates can vote for lately. Trump, why not? Right? He had steak last night. Uh, was it in Edmonton or Calgary? I forgot. But uh, but yeah. uh, he's well. Hey, I,
1: people were saying that he's he's a potential vice presidential oh, uh, running mate for
0: Donald Trump. God. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. So NLC Milk uh, ask, "What is next?" Oh, I like this question. What is next for Rachel Notley? Um, I have thoughts. But uh, they're not fun. So why don't you go first? What do you think is next for Rachel Notley?
1: I, I think what what is next is not politics. <laughs> uh, I think she, I think she gets appointed to something, and and that's it. Uh, I, I anything like uh, anything that uh, else aside from becoming a, a, a leader of a national party would be a demotion for a former premier.
0: Yeah,
1: um, so I can't see her running as a candidate for anybody. Um, I don't think that Jagmeet Singh is, is stepping aside. I'm not sure if she would really be interested in running uh, for the federal leadership if it became available. Uh, the question here is if whether she could replace Trudeau. Oh, I, I oh. just don't see yeah. that kind of thing happening no. either. No, no.
0: Um, she would have to work on her French uh, quite a bit. Well, that's... So, We'd well, yeah, be down the list of things why she won't, but uh, sure. I mean, it's... Yeah. it's, it's yeah. So what is next is vacation, time with your family, sitting on a board for a few hundred Ks per per year and uh, giving conferences. Uh, there are some people out there that have politics in their blood and they just can't get enough. They need they need
1: well she literally does her father was also a leader of the party
0: yeah well yeah that i meant it figuratively but, but sure no you're, you're correct some people they need that dopamine shot and i of course i referred to uh to the, the nikadai earlier but uh, i don't want to compare her to the nikadai it's, it's, but uh, she could just say you know what i was leader for 10 years uh, 10 years 12 years anyway and a premier yep. for four uh that, that could be enough there there is such a thing in politics as overstaying your welcome and she's leaving at a good time so uh what's next probably nothing probably just maybe uh you know a professor in one of the um, uh, universities in alberta and just giving conferences like doing a mult care sometimes appearing in the media like doing the, like tumble care basically so it's boring. I wonder but if she'll probably- do that. I haven't seen
1: her as a... I can't see her as a pundit. Well, uh, For some reason, Mulcair seemed like a more likely candidate to be
0: a pundit than her. I don't know. But also, I mean, it's true that he's. He pun- but the thing is, he, does, is that he doesn't do much punditing. What he does, it's, it's out in the national media. But he's also... He works at the University of Montréal now. So it's, I, I, I see that out of uh, Rachel Nutley. But I could be wrong. It's just... I, I mean, if she, to- if she took over the federal NDP the federal NDP would change drastically. And we know from, again, the malcare years that the the grassroots of the NDP, uh, they're not fond too much about that unless you can really win. And uh, I, I just don't see it happening.
1: All right, we were going to do a, a quiz, but we've been having some internet issues. So we're going to save it for next week or the week after. We'll figure that out. Uh, why don't we just go straight to the number of the week, uh, Philip? What do you have for your number of the week?
0: I have seventy percent, Eric. Seventy percent of Canadians are worried that the, the, the current healthcare system where they live in their provinces will not be able to get good quality uh, medical attention. Uh, to to you if you get sick. This is a very high number. And I know healthcare in this country is a perennial subject, and everybody whines about it. But uh, this level of anxiety uh, is kind of strange. uh, And also, it's, it's, I think, a call to action for provincial governments, because uh, whatever they're doing in healthcare uh, is not working. And so 70% is my number of the week. Yeah, it's a live issue. It's not going to go away. Uh,
1: So minus two. My number of the week is two. There are two vacancies in the House of Commons right now. Um, There's going to be a by-election for at least one of them, and it'll be called in the next few days. The limit for uh, the Durham by-election to be called is January 30th, so we're only a few days away Mm. from that. There's also a by-election coming in Toronto-St. Paul's. It's a vacancy now, and the government can call the election starting January 27th. So between January 27th and January 30th, there's a chance that we could get two by-election calls, but we'll certainly get at least one. Uh, so that's my number to watch because it's something to watch over the next few weeks because we will have a by-election campaign, at least one,
0: maybe two. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. There's, I mean, I think we know who the winners will be, but the numbers will be interesting to see the trends line, right? So, yeah, yeah absolutely. good uh, good, yeah. good call.
1: Okay, so that'll be it for this episode. As always, if you would like to support this podcast, you'd like to get exclusive access to episodes every second week, early access to episodes every week comes out on, on Thursdays. Uh, for our Patreon members, you can join it at the numberspod.za. If you're already a member, thanks very much for your support. We really appreciate it, and we're looking forward to this year. Uh, Philipp, hopefully your internet gets a little bit better, and uh, <laughs> by the time we chat next week... And uh, regardless of that, I hope you have a good week, and I'll I'll see you. I'll see you in seven days.
0: Absolutely, talk to you soon, Eric. Merci beaucoup, tout le monde. Thank you, everybody. Much appreciate that.